ಕಂಸಚಾಣೂರಮರ್ದನಂ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಸೋ ಇನ್ ದಿಸ್ ಕ್ಲಾಸ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಸ್ಟಡಿಂಗ್ ದ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತಾ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಆನ್ ದ ನೈನ್ತ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಅಂಡ್ ವಿ ಹಾವ್ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟೆಡ್ ದ ನೈನ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ನೈನ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಇಸ್ ಕಾಲ್ ದ ರಾಯಲ್ ಸೀಕ್ರೆಟ್ ಅಂಡ್ ದ ರಾಯಲ್ ನಾಲೆಜ್ Rajavidya, Rajaguhya, the yoga of the royal knowledge and the royal secret. What is this royal knowledge and royal secret? It is this. In the 8th chapter, uh, Krishna talked about God. What God? The God of theistic religion, the personal God. The God who is the creator, preserver, destroyer of the universe. The God who, whom we pray to. Um, so that God. The God whose incarnation Krishna himself is. Krishna's incarnation, avatar of God. So that God. In technical language, in Vedanta, this is called Saguna Brahman. God or Brahman with attributes. Now, in the... And the, what do you do with that God? You pray to that God. You worship that God. You meditate on that. And at the end of our lives, if we are, if we are truly devout and pious and we want God and nothing but God, then we go on um, to live in the presence of god after the death of this body basically um, and to put it very simply oversimplifying uh, if you are devoted if you are truly believing faithful uh, then after death you get to go to heaven so that's the conventional idea of god and religion which you find in most the- in all theistic religions that was the conclusion of the eighth chapter now krishna is saying but that's not the end of the story there is something deeper some a, a deeper secret to learn or a deeper truth about god to learn and that's coming in the ninth chapter one give me a second here let me just turn this off what is this deeper secret it is nirguna brahman the ultimate reality of the universe is not this triangle of god universe and sentient beings so we are there we are sentient beings and here is this material universe all around us and religion tells us that there is a god a power behind all of this but advaita vedanta uniquely among religions uh, is uh, saying that there is a deeper reality a higher reality um, an absolute reality and it calls it nirguna brahman brahman without any qualifications whatsoever without any adjectives added to it um so that nirguna brahman which can only be talked about either uh, i mean the closest approximation you can get is pure being existence itself the reality of this universe itself um pure awareness that which makes possible all our conscious experiences and pure bliss uh, which is the whole point of all of this universe the sat chit ananda existence consciousness bliss even more accurately it can only be described pointed out negatively um neti neti not this not this in uh, in theology this is called the apophatic method that you point out something which cannot be said in language so you just say what it is not if you cannot specifically say what it is the ultimate reality you can at least say what it is not 
So that Nirguna Brahman, the ultimate secret, the uh, absolute truth, the highest truth, the final thing that, you know, what we have discovered in human civilization, that's the, that's the royal secret. Raja um, Gwihya. That's the, how do you get that? How do you realize that? That's the royal knowledge. That's what Krishna is going to talk about. So big theme. There's no theme bigger than this. See, Krishna has already talked about it in the first six chapters, in the self-inquiry. I'm not the body, not the mind. Inquiring within yourselves, you come to this pure consciousness. Consciousness without content. What you are, awareness itself or consciousness itself. That was the process of self-inquiry. In that, uh, uh, it, It's in Sanskrit called Atma Vichara, inquiry into oneself. The same truth we're going to come to now by uh, an investigation or inquiry into what is God. That's what's going to happen. That's the royal secret he's going to talk about. The same truth. And um, in the first two verses, which we have seen last time, Krishna said, um, I shall give you this most um, secret knowledge and the realization. Jnana and Vijnana. Knowledge and realization. Or as we saw last time, another meaning of Jnana and Vijnana can be realization of myself or oneself as pure consciousness and then everything else as that pure consciousness. Um, that one, and by the knowledge of which you will be free from samsara. That was the first verse. Second verse, praise this knowledge, you know, advertised it, sold it to us by saying the knowledge which I'm going to give you is the highest secret, it's the royal knowledge, it's the most purifying of all. The most purifying knowledge, that which destroys all the impurities of samsara. Um, it's direct. Pratyaksha. This is, I, I, I mean, Pratyaksha Bhagavan, the term, it means this is direct and evident. This is a very big selling point, I think, in, in my um, book, because everything else that was talked about in the eighth chapter, it depends on, um, on um, your belief. Uh, on, on faith, uh, on, uh, yeah, all right, I accept what the great teachers say. I accept what the books say. I would like to believe it, and so I believe it. But here, it's not a question of belief. If you get what they're saying, it's, it's a matter of just a direct statement of fact. It's pratyaksha vagamam. It's, 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 uh, you just see it for yourself. And it is dharma. It, and this is spirituality. You know, um, sometimes people have doubts when you talk about non-dual Vedanta. Well, I signed up for religion. Is, does religion actually say these things? Or is it some kind of weird philosophy or some kind of very subtle metaphysics? If I wanted this, I could have joined the you know, NYU philosophy class. But I'm coming to you for religion. This is religion. This is what religion is all about. Dharma. Must be very difficult then. It's only for the super brainy types or it's super hard. Susukam. It's easy and it's enjoyable. Sometimes religion is, is taught and it's, you get the sense that it's going to be dry and boring and hard. But, but it's, he says it's easy and it's enjoyable. And if it's easy, then uh, we have this uh, sneaking suspicion. Nothing really worthwhile could be that easy. So easy come, easy go. You know? So if I get it easily, it, it, it won't lead to any kind of lasting result. Abhyayam, unshakable result. Permanent, eternal result, it sets you free from samsara forever. And samsara will never come back again. 
So with this kind of advertisement, who could uh, who could resist? And to back it up, in the third verse, he says, "Right now, you take it on faith, and you will see for yourself what I mean very soon." Third verse: Ashraddhana purusha dharmasyaasya parantapa aprapyamam nivartante mrityu samsaravatmani. Persons wanting in faith in this teaching, O scorcher of foes, return to the path of this mortal world without attaining me. So this is a strategy of teaching. First, he shows you how great it is, how easy it is, how wonderful it is. And, and after all that, one might still say, nah, I'm not interested. Well, you're going to asking for trouble. Now, now he's going to scare you. The next verse says that if you don't take this up, then you will fall back into samsara endlessly. He says, mrityu samsara vartmani. So what's wrong in the path of samsara? It's good enough. Life is good. He says it's death. It's ceaseless death. Being born is death. Aging and disease and they all culminate in death. And at that point, no matter how good a life you have led and whatever fun you have had in this life, all that disappears into nothing. If the culmination is not happiness, culmination is not fulfillment, but culmination is just degeneration and decrepitude and death. So this is samsara. Therefore, this is being offered to you, this highest teaching. Um, take it with faith that this is, there is something serious in this. See, all of this spiritual paths, not just a non-dual path, all paths, they begin with faith. You might say that, aren't you contradicting yourself? You just said the dualistic religion, the theistic religion, what was talked about in chapter 8, that's faith. This is direct. True, direct, but it's not direct right now, is it? If it were direct right now, you wouldn't be in the class. You would be an enlightened being. Or you might be in the class just for fun, you know, just um, listen to what you already know. But for most of us, for a long time, it's not evident. Uh, or even if I get it, what, what is being taught, I'm not getting the results of that. Uh, I'm still suffering in life. It's indirect. Um, one must admit, it's to some extent it is theoretical, to some extent it is, um, uh, I'm taking it on faith, that there is something to all this. Um, even if I say I've got it, I am, for all practical purposes, enlightened. Are you getting the full benefit of all of that? Um, if uh, full benefit means I would overcome all sorrow, are you fully enlightened? Are you a mini Vivekananda or Ramakrishna or Ramana Maharshi? And one would have to be pretty advanced or pretty deluded to say yes. <laughs> so we must admit that there's, there's still some shortfall. There is still, it's still, it could be better. In that case, take it on faith that there is something to this. I've told this story earlier, I'll repeat it. Um, there was this um, in Vrindavan, which is you know, classically the place of Sri Krishna in India. Uh, so it's a place of devotees of Krishna and uh, monks and bhaktas, lovers of Krishna who spend their lives. I had seen in so many places people spending their lives in you know repeating the name of Krishna and in devotion very dualistic, very uh, bhakti-oriented, loving. Um, 
I've seen an ashram into tiny huts on set on the sand, just enough for one person to stretch out. You know, that's all. Um, it's not much bigger than a typical bed here. So in those huts, and there are monks who've been living there for 10 years, 20 years. So in that place of devotion to Krishna, one monk, and there are non-dualists there too. So we are everywhere. Um, so one of the monks uh, thought that I have enough of this believe in God and love Krishna and all that. This non-dualism sounds good. Let me go there and sign up for the non-dualist class. So he goes to a monk teaching non-dualism, Advaita. And then in the first class, they talk about the qualifications required for Vedanta. What should you develop? And in that, you, you know, the six-fold treasure, Shat Sampati. One of them is Shraddha, faith. So you have to develop faith. And immediately this uh, monk who had joined, up, joined the non-dualism classes, who had come from a very devotional background, he said, faith, here too. Here too, I have to believe in something. Then what was the fault of my dear Krishna? Uh, what harm did Gopala do to me that I, I have come here so yeah of course there is a difference in a devotional theistic setting it's basically faith and that's why in America the religion is called faith which, which faith you belong to uh, whereas it would be a little odd to call, say, Advaita Vedanta faith through and through. It starts with some amount of faith, but I always say, if you, if you find, if, you, if that makes you uneasy, it shouldn't. It's just the amount of faith you have when you sign up for, a, say, a physics class or, you know, a mathematics class in Columbia University here. You have some faith in the textbooks that it's not all fake news. You have some faith in your teachers and professors that uh, they know what they're talking about. I don't, you know, you, our attitude might be in those classes. I don't get it yet, but there is substance in these books and what these super knowledgeable professors are talking about. There is some sense in that. Let me try. I'll get it eventually. That much faith is needed. That's all. So in, in Advaita Vedanta, Krishna says, Ashaddhana Purusha, persons without that much faith also. Uh, they do not attain me. So when Krishna talks attaining me, here he does not mean me as the, uh, as the person Krishna standing in front of Arjuna. We'll see that very soon. He's not at all, at all talking about that. He's talking about this unlimited existence consciousness bliss. So they do not attain to the unlimited existence consciousness bliss, which is their own nature, your own nature. Don't attain that. And these, these unfortunate people, they return. They, that means they keep coming back again and again to samsara. All right. Now comes verses 4 and 5. The most important verses in this entire chapter. And here the direct non-dual truth. Extraordinary verses. I'll read both of them and then explain them. 4. Maya tatamidam sarvam. Jagad abhyakta murtina matsthani sarvabhutani nachaham teshwavasthitah nacha matsthani bhutani pashyame yogamaishwaram bhutabhrinna cha bhutastho mamatma bhutabhavana. So this is five. 
I read both four and five. Translation, four. All this is pervaded by me of unmanifest form. All beings are in me, but I am not in them. Then number five. Nor are the beings in me. Behold my divine mystery. Though the sustainer and the protector of beings, yet by myself is not in these beings. Okay, very interesting verse. Krishna here says that I pervade everything. All beings, everything in this universe is in me. But I am not in them. And then he goes on to say, but all beings are not in me. It's just said exactly the opposite of what he said in the fourth verse. Uh, and by saying these two things together and meaning them entirely, that all things are in me, and then saying all things are not in me, uh, he is pointing to a, maybe the greatest mystery of creation here. What's going on here, he's trying to point out. All right. Maya tatamidam sarvam jagat abhyakta murtina. By me, this entire universe is pervaded. And by universe, he means not only this physical universe, but all living beings also. Our bodies, even indeed our minds. Everything is pervaded by me, he says. By me, what me? Krishna, the, you know, the charioteer of Arjuna, standing in front of Arjuna, giving him lessons on the Gita. By me, that's obviously wrong. You're a man standing in front of me. You don't, no matter how overweight you are, you can't pervade everything. You might at, as, at the most pervade one chair, you know, like occupy one full chair or two chairs if you're really grossly overweight. But no matter how big we are physically, we can't even pervade a single room. We can't occupy a single room, let alone the universe. You, Krishna, obviously, clearly, I can see it perceptually. This is not you don't mean you as the person. You don't pervade the universe. You are right here and there is this vast universe everywhere. Even as an incarnation of God, if I am to take you as incarnation of God, but incarnation is a beginning and an end. You know, All incarnations of God, they have a beginning and an end. There was a time when the Krishna incarnation was not there. There will be a time when the Krishna, Krishna incarnation will not be there, at least in a manifest Krishna form, physical form. And then you do not pervade space. Even as the incarnation of God, you are right here in front of me. You are not all over the universe. So obviously not in the manifest physical human form. You don't, when you say I pervade the universe, all of this, not in that form. Then in what form? In your, in your real nature as existence, consciousness, bliss, sat, chit, ananda. Um, I mentioned this earlier, but the... Um, Christian theologian, David Bentley Hart, um, who is, is one of the leading uh, theologians in the world today. Uh, I, a Harvard professor once told me uh, that, uh, I asked him, so are you acquainted with his work? Because he speaks about Vedanta. So the Harvard professor said, yes, I've never met a more quarrelsome person. <laughs> he said more pugnacious person. So he, he's a, a very polemical person. And he wrote this book, pretty polemical, against the new atheists, against, say, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, and Christopher, Christopher Hitchens. The book is called Experience of God, Being, Consciousness, Bliss. And the names of the chapters, if you open that book, names of the chapters are Sat, Chit, Ananda. And there he says, 
when you're going to fight against religion, for God's sake, don't fight against the kindergarten of religion. If you want to have debate science, you know, don't go to a grade school and talk with the kids there. Talk with a real scientist. You know. uh, so in, the sense, in that sense, if you want to debate religion, debate religion at its deepest, at its highest, at its best, most sophisticated. And you say, okay, then what's the most sophisticated idea of religion? He says the most sophisticated idea of religion is found in all religions. He's clear about that. It's found in Christianity. It's found in Judaism. It's found in Islam. It's found in, um, in Buddhism, uh, in um, you know, all the religions of the world. But then he says most clearly and explicitly, it is found in um, the Vedanta of Hinduism. And that's why he says, I'm using the terms from Vedanta. It's, it's mainstream in Hinduism. It's most explicit and it's fully developed there. So Sat, Chit, Ananda, Hita, those, those are the names of the um, chapters. Name of the author, David Bentley Hart. The book is, he has many books. He has many books. He's very prolific. But this particular book where he talks about Vedanta is, um, is uh, the knowledge, the experience of God. The experience of God. And recently, he, being very outspoken, so uh, he's made it clear that he prefers Vedanta over uh, you know, all the various branches of Christianity that he has come across. And I saw it in, in, a, in a review of one of his books recently. Um, all right. So why am I saying this? The real nature of God What's the best reading that we have in human civilization? This is this idea of pure being, pure consciousness, pure bliss. I mentioned this again and again. Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta, you'll keep coming across Sat, Chit, Ananda. Sat, pure being, Chit, pure consciousness, Ananda, pure bliss. But it struck me, and recently, something that's obvious and has been staring at me in the face for a long time. It struck me that... Sat, Chit, Ananda are the answers to the deepest questions of philosophy. Think about it. Philosophy has three broad branches. One is what's real? Metaphysics. Or a new name for that is ontology. It used to be called metaphysics earlier. Ontology. What's real? What's the truth? The second branch of philosophy is how do you know anything? So that's epistemology. And the third branch of philosophy is what's, the, what's good, beautiful, valuable, the point of it all, the meaning of it all. And that used, to, you know, there's a subject matter at various branches, ethics and aesthetics and so on. They've all been clubbed together under one name now, axiology. So three names, three branches of philosophy, ontology, epistemology, and axiology. What is real? How do you know anything at all? And what's the point? What's, the, what's good? What's good? What's beautiful? What's right? Uh, how do you distinguish right from wrong? And what's the purpose, goal? All of that under axiology. Now you can see where I'm leading with this. Because the answers to these three questions are such chit ananda. You think about it. What is real? Pure being. Uh, being is existence itself. And then, of course, the details. That, that comes later. How do you know anything? Knowledge is made possible by consciousness. Chit is the answer to that. And what's the point of it all? Ethics, aesthetics, all of that. Ananda, bliss. So it just struck me, Sat, Chit, Ananda are the um, 
answers to the philosophical quest of humanity since ancient times. Anyway, my point here is when Krishna says, I pervade everything, how? Not as the person Krishna, not even as the avatar Krishna, but as the absolute reality of Krishna, which is our absolute reality. Krishna is, is Satchit Ananda, but you are Satchit Ananda. I am Satchit Ananda. Then can I say if, if I were to know myself as Satchit Ananda, can I say with, with Krishna, Krishna that I pervade the entire universe by my unmanifest form? All beings exist in me, and yet I do not exist in all beings. Can I say these verses saying I? You can actually. That's the amazing thing about Advaita Vedanta. But then your individual identity now will dwindle into a drop. I mean, you become, you are the vast, you see yourself as the vast. So he says, how avyakta murtina, by which murti, murti means form. So by which form do you, do you pervade the universe? Not the Krishna form, obviously. Well, he says, by my unmanifest form. Unmanifest is meant Something that is that is so subtle that is not the object of sense organs. It's not like this physical form of Krishna. You can see this, but you cannot see my real nature. You cannot hear it, smell it, taste it, touch it. You cannot even conceive of it with the mind. The Saguna Brahman, God of this universe, you can conceive of it with mind, you know, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, things like that you can say all loving, all benign, creator of the universe, the preserver and destroyer of the universe. All of these things can say about God. So you have a conception of God, no matter how vast and incredible it is. Still, you can think about it, talk about it. And religions talk about it ad nauseum, incessantly. But here, the absolute reality is you cannot even conceive of it, let alone talk of it. Why? Because it's subtle. And a deeper answer is not just because it's subtle. It's because it is not an object. It's not an object of the senses. It's not an object of thought, not an object of language. Language cannot refer to it for reasons I will not go into. It will take us far afield. Um, the mind cannot conceive of it and senses obviously cannot objectify it because it's not an object. So by that um, pure subject, the uh, underlying reality of this universe, by that I pervade this manifest universe. By my unmanifest form, I pervade this manifest universe. Um, how does that work? It's like all golden ornaments are pervaded by gold in that sense. Because every bit of that, in all golden ornaments, gold, gold is there. You're, if you say it's a golden ornament, gold must pervade those. In all earthen pots, in pottery, pots and jars, whatever shape and size, Earth must be there. Clay must be there. In that sense, I pervade this universe by my by unmanifest form as Sat Chit Ananda. In what sense? You know, um, I just say this and move on. But very interesting. I, I if I look at earthen pottery, clay pottery, and you tell me it's all pervaded by clay, I will say, okay, I get what you mean. Yeah, I see it. I can say, I, can, I see it. I get it. All golden ornaments are pervaded by gold. Yeah, I get it. I get what you mean. But all things are pervaded by Satchidananda. What do you mean? Where is that Satchidananda? 
It's an important question. Why is it important? The objection will be this. This is the objection to uh, the old objection to pantheism. Pantheism is um, is a theological, philosophical perspective which says that um, this universe, this world, this universe is God. But there's an objection to that. That objection would be, this is cheap. Here is this world that you are seeing and you're just calling it God. What good does that do? It's still a material universe. And there are atoms and protons and stuff like that. And still there is uh, solids, liquids and gaseous matter. And uh, there are these uh, living beings which are suffering uh, all its imperfections and evil and misery in this universe. And you're now giving it a name, God. So what good did that do? Did you learn one thing extra? Did you uh, get any benefit from it whatsoever? So it's cheap, isn't it? In fact, the objection against pantheism is that this is as good as atheism. Because then you are not believing in something called God. You're just saying this world is God. So that's the objection. So not in that way. No, it's not that you're taking the world and you're calling it God. No. And rather, look at this universe. Notice that there is one thing that runs through all of it, like clay through all pottery, like gold through all golden ornaments. What is that one thing that runs through all existing things in this universe? The answer is there in my language, existing things. Not the things themselves, they come and go, they change. Each thing is different from the other. Stones are different from air and whales are different from shrimp. They are different. But all of them have something in common. They exist. This very existence itself, this existence of the universe. Yes, Rekhaji has got it. You've got the answer. Existence of this universe. I do not tire of drawing your attention to it. It's the most, it's, it is the background. It is the most common thing underlying our experience that is everywhere you find this isness. And we always overlook it because it's always there. Things are interesting because they come and go. People are interesting. Living beings are interesting. Pain and pleasure are interesting. But existence itself, it's always there. But that existence is hidden in plain sight. Swami Vivekananda calls it the open secret. Here is God hidden in plain sight. Being itself. Which makes possible the existence of existing things. I'll repeat that. Existence makes possible the existence of existing things, just as gold makes possible the existence of golden ornaments. Clay makes possible the existence of clay pottery. Water makes possible the existence of waves and foam and surf uh, and uh, you know, uh, water drops and so on. Similarly, Vedanta talks about sat, pure being which makes possible all beings. Pure existence, which makes possible all existing things. Okay. That sounds kind of cool, as, American, uh, as Americans would say. What good does that do me? In the Chandogya Upanishad comes the bombshell. You are that existence. Tat tvam asi. That thou art. The very existence of this universe you are. It's because of you that this universe exists. 
It's depending on you for its existence, just like every pot depends on the clay for its existence. Every golden ornament um, piece of jewelry depends on the underlying gold for its existence. Similarly, the, all real things depend upon existence for their existence. You can see that this language is a bit weird. This language was never meant to refer to existence. It's always meant to refer to existence, T-E-N-T-E-S, existence, existing things. This, this is what uh, the German philosopher Heidegger ran up against when he sort of came very close to this idea. He, he touched it. If you touch it, either you become a non-dualist or you go crazy. Um, another way. So, so you can see existence pervades everything. Where? Here, look around, look around you. There's an ocean of existence. That's where Krishna is, as existence of all things. We will explore this further. As consciousness, as awareness, you know, it's not that things are existing. Rather, you are having experiences. What the, what's our life? We have experience. It's not that there is a table, there's a person, there is a computer. Isn't that so? No, it isn't. Better description would be, I experience a table. I see a computer. I talk to a person. I experience and feel my body. All of it is one thing in common in all. What is that? Not just existence. Experience of existence. Now I'm going to consciousness, as you can see. So experience of existence is an even better way of describing our experience of life. We experience all the time. All our life is experience. And all experience, experiences are all different from each other. Every experience, moment to moment, we are having, having a series of experiences all the time. Choicelessly so. It cannot but be so. And each experience comes and goes. Each experience is different from the other one. Each experience is good or bad, pleasant or unpleasant or mixed or neutral. But underlying all of that is one con common thing. It is consciousness, awareness. I'm using the terms in a broad way. I'm referring to the Sanskrit pure consciousness, chit or chaitanya. Just as existence pervades everything, consciousness too pervades everything. Existence pervades all existing things. Consciousness pervades all experience. And the thing is, the brilliant insight of Advaita Vedanta was, this pure consciousness, this pure existence are one and the same thing. There's a new term common, which is being popularized in uh, um, some direct path teachings these days. Uh, they use the term presence. I like that, presence. Because when you say presence with a capital P, note there are two elements to it. There is a sense of existence and there's a sense of awareness. A presence is a being, isness, but also aware. It's not a dull, dead isness. It's a presence. So this presence, which is existence consciousness, isness awareness, Krishna is saying by that, all things in this universe are pervaded. All right. Going, moving on. I mean, I can go on and on about this because this is like a core insight, but there are deeper and richer things to come next. Then he says something startling. Matsthani sarvabhutani nachaham teshu avasthitah. It says that First, he said, I am in all beings. I, I pervade all beings. I am in all beings. But he says, wait a minute. I am actually not in all beings. 
Rather, it's more accurate to say all beings are in me. And again, if you use the clay and pot example, is it that there is a pot and there is clay in it? It's like if you say there's a pot and there's water in it, that makes sense. If um, there is a golden pot, for example, and you put um, water in it, there's water in it. But in that golden pot, is gold in it? Is it full of gold coins? No, no, no. Rather, here is another uh, insight, change of paradigm. The pot is in the clay. That's a weird way of speaking. But it's more true. The, the ornament is in the gold. The wave is in the water. If you look at waves in the ocean, so that wave has more water. This wave has less water. Rather, better description is the waves are in water. Why would you say that? Well, notice that before the wave arose, the water was there. And when the wave water arose as the wave, the wave is there and the water is still there. And when the wave subsides, the water is still there. The water exceeds the wave in space and in time. Similarly, the clay, the earth, pre-existed the pot and exists during the existence of the pot and exists after the destruction of the pot. So the clay in the pot, the water in the wave, rather you should say pot is in the clay, what a wave is in the water, ornaments are in gold. He says in that exactly in the same way, matstani sarvabhutani, all beings are in me. The universe is in existence. Existence is not in things. Is there um, a table? When you say table is, do you first, is there a table and then you add some isness to it? No. You can have a table and then you can add, you know, you can paint it red or brown. You can do that. You can have a table and then you can change the color. Properties of an existing table can be added or removed or modified. But the existence is not added to a table. Rather, table is added to existence. A table is a name and a form imposed upon existence. Just as a necklace is a name and a form and a function imposed upon gold. A jar or a pot is a name and a form and a function imposed upon clay. Clay exists. Similarly, you are existence, you are awareness, you are presence. Now upon you is imposed a mind, a sensory system, a body, and a world. Similarly, upon consciousness itself, presence itself, this cosmic presence itself, is imposed an entire cosmos. That is the deeper secret about God. It's mind-blowing, you know, but, but the, the stunning thing about it is he's talking about something right here in front of our eyes and behind our eyes also. This is the deeper secret about God. And here, you and God are one reality. Tattvamasi, you are that reality too, as much as Krishna is. In what sense are you not the same as God? Krishna is an avatar of God with qualities. That is Saguna Brahman. You are not. I am not. We are not avatars. We are sentient beings in this world of appearance. But as pure being, pure awareness, what Krishna is, what Rama is, what Jesus and Buddha and they, all the great masters are, we also are. Not less, not a fraction. We are exactly the same. It's an undivided reality. It's akhanda. Akhanda means indivisible. 
there is no part of it so we are one at that level only at that level however um, you know i will go deeper into that so nachaham teshu avasthitaha here is pointing out something interesting that i am not in them i do not stay in these beings because there is always the idea you know you know the preliminary ideas that um, the most crudest ideas god is out there but as we advance in religion we realize god is within krishna is saying that's also crude god is not within i am not within you i am your reality i am ent- entirely all of your reality it's just as clay is not within a pot you can put water in a pot um, then uh, uh, your gold is not within an ornament it's not that the ornament exists and you filled it with gold so that's why the language which is often used i am this body and this mind is the temple of god in my heart is god all good not wrong but krishna is giving you a higher deeper point of view every bit of you is god not that in your heart in a subtle way somewhere accessible only in meditation as we are taught often taught that's the kind of language which is given to us because that's a good way of meditation but he's giving a deeper deeper meaning so you already already gone to two stages first stage was i am in all of you in all this universe in everybody equally i am there second stage was not in you every bit of you is me so um i'm not in you now he's going to give us the hammer blow you are you are all in me he says that so the deeper meaning is you are all in me just as clay is in uh, pottery is in clay gold is in uh, ornaments are in gold waves are in water you are in me now the hammer blow is going to come next he's going to say but you are not in me <laughs> none of this universe is actually in me what is what he means is i and only i exist god and only god exists what you think of as a separate existence of the universe what you think of as a separate individual existence that's the ego it's a ghost it doesn't exist all your existence all our existence is actually god nachamatstani bhutani pashyame yogameshwaram the beings this entire universe are there none of them are in me oh, so they are out of outside you no no they don't exist outside me so three levels look at the three levels and it's quite quite stunning what uh, he just says here first he says in all beings i am and the next he says i am not in those beings they are in me second third he says they are not in me what does that mean i alone exist now let's try to exa- uh, understand this with the clay and pot example so you're given a pot it's a thing a pot a clay pot now we are told you know in this clay there is in this pot sorry we're given a pot so in this pot there is something called clay so in this pot yes in this pot there is something called clay in all pots in fact and why should i be interested well there the clay has a certain advantage over the pot each pot is different from the other pot yeah but the clay is the same in all pots each 
pot has characteristics, advantages and disadvantages. Some are big pots, some are small pots, some are inferior pots, some have superiority, but they're big pots, you know, big shots like big pots, they have got superiority complexes. No pot is equal to me. Uh, so, but the clay is exactly the same in all the pots. Not only that, pots are mortal. They are created. They exist and they, they, they are destroyed. They are born and they die. They can be broken. They can be damaged. The clay is exactly the same all throughout. So, when we say, wow, this clay thing sounds very impressive. Where is this clay? Well, all, all the clay is in the pot. You see the pots and all the pots, the clay is in the pots. Step one. Step two. When we look, look at the pot, where well, I want to see this clay. I can see the pot, but I want to see the clay. I want to, I want to know what, where the clay is. Well, look in the pot. Well, I looked in the pot. There's no clay in there. No, 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 no. What are you holding? If you look inside the pot, you will not find clay. You might find milk or water or um, you know, cookies or something. But the pot itself, look there. You will find what you are touching is clay. The material itself is clay. The bottom of it is clay. The top of it is clay. The inside of it is clay. Through and through this pot is clay. In fact, I will now modify my statement. It's not that there is clay in the pot. Rather, the pot is in clay. Second step. Pot is in clay. Third step. There is no pot at all. There's no pot in the clay at all. Where's the pot? What do you mean? I'm holding a pot. Well, show me the pot other than the clay. Take the clay away and show me a pot. You're using two words, clay and pot. And you have admitted what I'm holding is clay. Through and through, every bit of it is clay. Good. Now you use the word pot. Take the clay away. Show me the pot. You can't. Once you, you have the clay drishti, once you see the pot as clay, you cannot find a separate, a second countable entity called pot. Countable. Count clay as one, then you can't count anything else as pot because it's done. Then what is a pot? You can't deny that there's a pot. Well, you, you cannot, but the pot has a very unique status. It has uh, a form. It looks like this. It has a use. You can put stuff in it. And it has a name, pot. This is called, form is called rupa. Use or function is called Vyavahara and the name is called Nama. Nama Rupa Vyavahara. This is, constitutes a pot and it is given existence and reality and support by clay. And so, all right, so there is something called name, form, and function. No, it's not a thing. You can't say something because it has no existence of its own. That you might say, you're driving me crazy. Is a pot a thing or not? And the answer is that's the amazing thing about it. You can't deny its existence entirely, but you can't say it's a real thing either. When you cannot say it's a real thing either, you cannot deny that in some sense it exists. This is called uh, inexpressible either as existing or as non-existing. In Sanskrit, sad asad bhyam anirvachaniyam. You want a simpler term? Mithya. Mithya is equal to falsity. The pot, name, form, and function are false. The word, name, form, and function is the word. It's false. False in the sense of what? Not that it doesn't exist. It's a false in the sense it's an appearance. It has no existence of its own. It has no absolute existence. 
absolute existence belongs to what? To Brahman, not to clay or gold. Clay or gold are those ex examples. It belongs to Satchidananda, existence consciousness place. That is the absolute existence. We might say, good for Satchidananda. Where am I in this deal? I'm going to look out for I, me, myself. Am I that weird, neither existing nor not existing kind of thing? Or am I the reality? Well, congratulations, you are the reality. That Satchidananda is you. But what you consider your body, what you consider your sensory system, your, your uh, mind, your limited personality, that belongs to the category of name, form, and function. That's an appearance. Needn't bother. You can put on as many appearances and dispense with them as you please. And that's perfectly all right. You are the absolute reality of not only this body-mind, you're the absolute reality of this universe. As absolute reality of the universe, you are called Nirguna Brahman. Brahman without attributes. As the absolute reality of this person, right now, you are called the Atman. And they are exactly the same thing. Nirguna Brahman and Atman are exactly the same thing. This is the royal secret which Krishna was hinting at. He's talking about it now. Let me run through that very quickly using the pot example and Brahman example. Pot is like the universe. Clay is like Brahman. So first you are given a pot. Um, and you are given on this side the universe. The pot is just to ex uh, explain things. Now you are introduced to the concept of, of clay. There is clay in the pot, pervading the pot. Krishna says, I pervade the universe. Then when we look into the pot and we find, where's the clay? There is milk or cookies or there's a flower in the pot, but there's no clay in it. And you're told, no, 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 not the contents of the pot. You have to examine the pot itself and you will find it's through and through clay. Similarly, when we look at this universe, where is Krishna? Is he contained in the universe like a, like a cookie in a jar of cookies? No, I don't find anything. You know? I told you, imagine Krishna in your heart. Well, you're imagining. Oh, you visualized. Well, you're visualizing. Where is Krishna? Actually, right now, you promised direct protection, direct experience of Krishna. Well, here is Krishna. Just as you find clay upon examining the material of the pot, similarly, upon examining the material of the universe, you find existence itself, being itself, isness itself. Upon examining the material of your experiences, which experience? Every experience of life, including the one you're having right now. If you're excited about this, great. If you are interested, great. If you're bored, great. If you're inspired, great. All these experiences, excited, interested, bored, inspired, all of them have consciousness as their basis, awareness. That existence, that awareness, you find in every bit of this universe. The, uh, the existence of this universe is found everywhere. Then the next Krishna says that all beings, I am not in them, they are in me. The clay is not in the pot. The pot is in the clay. And similarly, the entire universe, all beings are in existence. Existence is not in them. All experiences are appearing in consciousness. Not that the experiences have a little bit of consciousness sprinkled in it. Then Krishna finally says, none of these beings are in me, in reality. 
they are all names forms and appearances just as there is really no second entity called a pot in clay we said the pot is in clay clay is not in the pot good third step there is no pot in the clay i am holding a pot i am denying that there is a pot what you are holding is clay so what is the pot then it's a name and a form and a function and they have no reality apart from the clay that is a kind of like magic like uh, call it shakti maya whatever you call it similarly in the universe there is no universe there are no living beings there is uh, uh, no but not in the sense of absolute reality the universe planets and stars and beings and life and samsara they are appearances in god in brahman this is the dramatic stunning uh, claim the the teaching given by krishna this is the deep secret how does that help it is you it's not just an avatar called krishna not that just the person standing in front of um, arjuna it is you your real real nature and he says bhuta bhin nacha bhutastho mamatma bhuta bhavana i am the origin the support of all beings and so mamatma he says myself mamatma only talking about it shankaracharya says as we ignorant people talk my real self my atman my pure existence not my real self it's not like my kidney or my heart or my um, um, you know liver it's i you have to make that switch so when he says my real self he's talking just like we talk right now we'll be excused for saying my real self my atman but uh, shankaracharya in his commentary makes the point that you have to switch to the idea that you are that real self you are the support of all beings now we understand how how it is possible support of all beings just as clay can say i am the support of all pots gold can say i am the support of all ornaments golden ornaments brahman nirguna brahman can say i am the support of the appearance of all the universe and i am um the the bhuta bhavana the creator the projector of all of that just as all names and forms all pottery is projected in a sense by um that by by clay or i will i will put it this way here is talking about saguna brahman remember nirguna brahman and saguna brahman are the same reality so nirguna brahman in its nature as saguna brahman as the god of the universe is the projector of the universe is the sustainer of the universe so bhuta bhavana projector of this entire universe that's why god is called the creator but god is creator only in the sense clay is the creator of all the pottery uh, only in the sense that gold is the creator of all uh, ornaments uh, because it gives existence to all of it when we come to saguna brahman one more thing is introduced um, you know the technical terms upadana karana uh, uh, and what is called the uh, nimitta karana the material cause and the intelligent cause what is this universe made of god is the material cause upadana karana who made this universe god so this is which who are we talking about saguna brahman brahman with attributes the creator preserver and destroyer of the world 
um, what is, but if you say the world is an appearance, only God is, or only Brahman is, then you're talking about Nirguna Brahman. Are the two the same? Yes. In 8th chapter and 9th chapter, he's not talking about two different things. 8th chapter is talking about the God of religion, Saguna Brahman. 9th chapter is talking about the deeper reality of the same God. Just as when I talk of you as a person, and when I say talk, I try to point out that you are pure consciousness. I'm not talking about two different people. I'm not talking about something called pure consciousness, something called a person. I'm talking about the same reality. And the surface of it is a person. Upon investigation, it's pure consciousness. And they are not equal realities. Pure consciousness is the reality, is the truth about you. Your personality, body, mind is the appearance, is a transactional, like the pot or the golden ornament. I want to read out a line from um, one of the, the, the greatest commentary on the Bhagavad Gita, greatest in the sense of sheer um, uh, depth and extension and bulk. So this is uh, Madhusudan Saraswati's Gurartha Deepika, the lamp of uh, lamp which illumines the hidden intent. Gurartha Deepika, the lamp which illumines the hidden intent. Oh, not relevant. I'll just mention it. What all sorts of things I'm called upon to talk about, you won't believe it. Was called upon to talk about Bitcoin today. <laughs> and they're making a documentary about Bitcoin. I can't reveal all of it, but anyway. So what does non-duality talk about say about Bitcoin? I was at a loss. I, I hardly any idea. Yeah, somebody said mithya, falsity, yes. But uh, but you have to say well, what is the Sanskrit word for that? And I have to say artha, literally, you know, artha means dharmartha kama moksha. Artha is wealth, money. Anyway, so the Gurartha Deepika, one meaning of Atta is meaning. Um, Atta means meaning. Um, so, Gurha Artha Deepika. In that, let me point out what Madhusudan Saraswati says in this. Just one line, very profound and beautiful line, which I liked so much. I'll just read it out and translate for you, and we'll take questions. I feel I've just touched about half of what I wanted to say uh, today. If you will notice, this Sunday I have a talk. It's called It from Bit from Chit. So I'll explain the mystery of the title in the talk. But it's also this. If you look at it, it, this cosmic universe, this cosmos. What does it come from? Bit, mind, information. Hiranyagarbha. What does that come from? Chit, pure consciousness. So it from Bit from Chit is more or less what Krishna was telling Arjuna here. But more on that on Sunday. But let me read out what Madhusudan Saraswati, 600 years ago, one of the greatest non-dualists said. He says, what Krishna means here is, Naham, I'll read out the Sanskrit and translate for you. Very powerful, concise, philosophical and very elevating Sanskrit. Remember, he's talking about Krishna, he's talking about you. He's talking about us, our deepest reality. Naham kasyachit adheyo. Napi kasyachit adhara. Tathapi aham sarveshu bhuteshu. Maicha sarvani bhutani. Iti mahati ayam maya. I am not in anything. I am not contained by anything. 
Nothing is contained in me. And yet, I am in all beings. And all beings are in me. This is my extraordinary Maya. I'm not in anything. Yet, I'm in all and everything. Nothing is in me. I'm pure existence consciousness bliss. And yet, everything is in me. It's not difficult to understand. It's not just being Zen or cool about it. It's, it's very, very easy to understand. Uh, you just take um, golden ornaments. The gold can say, I am not in anything. Is gold contained in a necklace? Is there a, you know, or suppose there's a golden bowl. So is the golden bowl, bowl filled to the brim with gold? No, no, no. It could be filled with milk and cookies or whatnot. But gold is not in a bowl made of gold. So gold is not in something. And uh, is something in the gold? When you look at the golden bowl, in that gold is something there? No. It, uh, is there a bowl inside the gold? You see, look at this part of the bowl. There is a bowl. Inside, this part of the gold there is a bowl in that gold. No. It's just gold. And yet, can we not say in the bowl everywhere there is gold? Can we not say that uh, in the bowl exists in gold? Yes, we can. And look at this extraordinary magic just in front of our eyes. This is exactly like that. If you take myself, me as existence, everything in the universe, I'm not in anything, nor is anything in me because I'm just existence, I'm being. And yet I am in everything, otherwise they won't exist. And everything is in me, otherwise they won't exist. Then one more line. Evam abhinna nimitta upadana bhuto api mamata mamaramartha swarupa bhuta satchidananda ghana asanga advitiya swarupatvat na bhutastha paramarthato. Evam, in this way, in which way? As God, the creator of the universe, as God, the support of the universe, I am abhinna nimitta upadana. I am the one indivisible material of the universe and the creator of the universe. Just the idea of God. Yet, Mamatma, my real nature. What is my real nature? Paramartha Swarupa Bhuta, which is my absolute nature. What's, what's that made up? Satchidananda Ghana. Pure being, pure consciousness, pure bliss, without the slightest um, space for anything else. See here, when Sadhu in the, you'll understand this, appreciate it in Hindi. When Sadhu in Uttarakhand said, the universe and God, where is the space for an universe? He says, Satchidananda Ghana. He says, this universe is packed tight with existence, awareness, bliss, as it is. Where is the tiniest place for a universe to exist? So, in that sense, it is existence, consciousness, bliss. There is, every bit of it is God and nothing else. Satchidananda. Asanga. Then what is the universe? It appears like a mov movie on the screen. 
It appears like a dream in the dreamer's mind. And just as a dream can't harm you, a movie doesn't, you know, destroy the screen or burn up the screen or anything. It's not, does, a re, appearance does not affect reality. Similarly, existence consciousness bliss is not affected by samsara. Though samsara, the universe, universes appear, play around and disappear on, uh, uh, on the screen of Brahman. Na bhutastha paramarthato. So I do not exist in, in beings in reality, nor do these beings exist in me in reality. What exists? I alone, God alone, you alone. But not you, the person. You have to be careful. It's absolute reality beyond limitations of person. Okay. That was powerful. Let me look at the comments quickly. I'll try to answer them fast. All right, I'll try from the bottom upwards because the bottom comments are the most recent ones. Bill, the word in has two different meanings in this contrast. One is made of, another is held by. True. And both are wrong in this context. Is, let me ask you, is the um, pot made of gold? You say, of course. And yet, if you look closely, of course not. Because if you say there is, or is the pot made of clay? So of course not, because there's no pot. There's no second thing. Made of means a, a cause has produced an effect. Has clay produced a pot? It hasn't. That's the idea of causality that Advaita Vedanta is pushing. That it's a name and a form and a function imposed on clay. The clay hasn't changed into anything else. So, a clay hasn't been made of, a pot hasn't been made of clay, because nothing has been made of anything. Clay still exists. And um, held by, so is there a pot held by the clay? Not at all, because there's no pot at all. That's the point he's making. So in both cases, both meanings of the word in, apparently both meanings are valid, and then both meanings are dispensed with, or they're negated. Forex business, Lisa says, Neti Neti, no Bitcoin, yes. <laughs> um, Mithya Vishwanath says, for Bitcoin, so everybody's against Bitcoin. Swamiji is the third state, same as Ajatabad. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is uh, Mandukya. This is pure Mandukya, uh, Karika of uh, Gaudapada, Ajatabad. This is the final conclusion of. Advaita Vedanta. Na nirodho na chutpatti. Na baddho na chasadaka. Na mukto na mukto na vai mukta ittesha paramarthata. There is no cessation of the universe because there is no beginning of the universe. There is uh, uh, nobody in bondage. Nobody practicing spiritual disciplines to get out of bondage. There is nobody seeking liberation. And indeed there is nobody liberated. What's this nonsense? It's the ultimate truth. Esha Paramarthata. Gaudapada Acharya. 1,400 years ago. And it's, yet it's perfect. This is the way it has to be. Anything less than the, this will be imperfect. Yes. Um, is existence the same as pure consciousness? Yes. Pure being and pure consciousness are the same. This is the conclusion of Advaita Vedanta. Um, 
quickly. How could you understand that? Normally, it doesn't seem to be so. In our waking state, I exist and I'm conscious, but I can see so many things here, the table and the chair and all. They seem to exist without consciousness. They seem to. One good way of understanding is the dream example. In the dream, you are conscious, you're walking around in a dream, and there seem to be many things, tables and chairs, which seem to be not conscious and not mental. But when you wake up, you realize everything there. Um, conscious beings, non-conscious beings, all were made of your mind because your mind produced the dream. Similarly, here also, um, consciousness and existence are the same. How does existence appear as existing things? Big, big question. Wait for Sunday. It from bit from chit. Uh, this is the question Girish is asking. It means existing things. Uh, and chit is existence itself. How does that appear as existing things? Brahman pervades all beings, but doesn't dwell in them. I don't get the distinction. The distinction has to be made at two levels. First level, pervades all beings. God is in all beings. It's like saying, clay is in all pots. But is that true? Isn't it better to say, all the pots are in clay? It's not that there is a pot and in which clay is. There is a discussion about this. This is called Adhar Adhya. Um, Shankaracharya talks about it. Are all beings like vessels in which God is contained? Is there a tiny God in every one of us? Not in that sense. Although the language is often used and meditation techniques are prescribed in that way. It's helpful, but no. Clay is in all pots, but really not in all pots. The pots are in clay. And then you go even further. The pots are not in clay. Similarly, all beings are in God. It's not that God is in all beings. All beings are in God. And then all beings are not. God alone is. So three stages. First stage, Brahman pervades all beings. Brahman is in all beings. Step one. Step two, Brahman is not in all beings. All beings are in Brahman. Step three, all beings are not in Brahman. <laughs> David Bentley Hart. Uh, the Rick has mentioned his atheist delusions. His very polemical book against uh, the, the uh, new atheists. Yes. Bill says, Saguna Brahman is also omnipotent and omnipresent, not just Nirguna Brahman. Yes. So omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, all these are qualities of Saguna Brahman. But you cannot say that they are um, qualities of Nirguna Brahman because Nirguna Brahman literally means without quality. So, omnipresent, everywhere. So, isn't Nirguna Brahman everywhere? No, no, no. So, there are particular places where Nirguna Brahman is a particular places that Nirguna Brahman is not there. No, there is no place. Space is an appearance in Nirguna Brahman. It's not that uh, Brahman is in sp uh, space. But when you, once you accept space, uh, that means you have accepted this universe, then Nirguna Brahman for you already has become Saguna Brahman. And Saguna Brahman is pre present everywhere. Uh, immanent in this universe. Similarly, omnipotent, all-powerful. So you will say the Nirguna Brahman is not all-powerful. Is the Nirguna Brahman weaker than uh, Saguna Brahman? No, there's no concept of strength or weakness in Nirguna Brahman. See, strength is itself, the concept of strength is itself a weakness. 
Why do you need power? Only in an imperfect universe where things have to be done, do you need power. But there is nothing to be done. It's perfect. From that perspective, no power is needed. The very presence of power shows imperfection. Somebody is writing Namaste from Santa Barbara Convent Bookstore. So, oh, all right. So it's they're three hours behind, so we might be there. Good. That was great. There are more messages at the bottom. Amit says, with all this, this reality, does it still make sense to visit temples, churches, and participate in all prayers, festivals? I'll help to share the details in your Sunday talks. Absolutely, it does. Be very careful. If you're asking, this is the reason why this is called the royal secret and the royal uh, um, knowledge, uh, because it can um, can be devastating. That's why it's it's a secret. It can destroy all religion. It can destroy all faith, and then it just uh, it is not helpful in that case. So everything, let everything go on. I like that Tibetan Buddhist teaching, uh, which is very applicable in this case. It is true that you and your guru are one reality. Never fail to show respect to your guru. It is true that God exists with eyes closed and with eyes open. Never forget to meditate, eyes closed. Uh, It is true that God is in the cities and God is in the forests, but never never give up an opportunity to go into a retreat. Um, Similarly, like multiple um, uh, warnings. So does it make sense? It makes sense. And uh, um, uh, and you don't have to take me at this uh, at my word. You just have to look at the behavior of uh, enlightened beings. Ramana Maharshi, Vivekananda. I read a very interesting story of Ramana Maharshi, who apparently never went to temples. He used to regularly go to the temple in the nearby town. The only reason he stopped was I was reading that. He started getting mobbed when he went to the temple. And people worshipped at this, this walking Shiva, you know. Um, so he saw this is disrespect to the temple and the deity in the temple. So he stopped going. It's not that he was at all against it. He would be overcome with bliss and joy when he went into... Uh, for them, it's a living reality. Shiva says, are you against Bitcoin? I thought I was without knowing much. Now I'm a convert because the people who talk to me, they are big supporters of Bitcoin. They have sold me on Bitcoin, whatever it is. I don't understand much of it at all. All right. Clay is not the cause of the pot. Clay is the real nature of the pot. Exactly. In the example, Brahman is not ultimately the cause of the universe. Brahman is the reality itself. And you are that. Tattvamasi. It's a very nice uh, point to end on. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Sri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu.